Well, welcome along to our online service today. It's great to have you with us. And uh, today we've got a message from Peter Craft. And so uh, in a short moment, I'm going to hand over to him. But first of all, if you didn't catch that update um, this week, we've included it here. So there's just a bit of an update on how we are going to progress forward under the new Victorian state government um, rules. Uh, so that video is going to pop up shortly. And uh, following that, we're going to have a wonderful message from, from, uh, from Peter Craft, uh, who is in New South Wales. And, uh, you know, this technological world enables us to hear from him again today. Uh, so I trust that it's a blessing to you. And uh, I look forward uh, to hearing how your home hubs have gone. And uh, really uh, just want to bless you as we embark on this new, hopefully uh, not for long, um, but as we embark on this new opportunity, you know, we've, we've missed the opportunity to have, uh, you know, to offer hospitality to other people. Uh, there's been so much we've lost. And so maybe this could actually be a real moment of blessing for us as we do gather in people's homes rather than at church uh, until these rules change. So I really look forward um, to hearing of the, the joy that is had as you gather uh, together as God's people and as we remain unified as the body of Christ in many places. May this uh, be a blessing to you this morning or whenever you're watching. And uh, I, I trust that Peter's message will also be a real encouragement to us today. Uh, so here's, here's the announcement followed by Peter. On behalf of the church leadership team, uh, we would like to give an update on how we will be proceeding under the new Victorian government directions which come into force this week. This is not something that we have at all wanted to do, but we have really been forced to take these measures because of these government mandates. We start from a place that in everything we do, we seek to bring glory to God and honour Him, that that's always our starting place. And from that position, we ask, what is the best way to glorify God and honour Him as we navigate these rules that have been foisted on us by the state government? How can we remain true to the teaching of Scripture and at the same time not willfully ignore these impositions? So there are a few things that guide us in this. Ephesians Chapter 3, verse 4 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It is of the utmost importance that we maintain unity in the church. But how do we maintain unity together through these times when the government is asking us to divide our community and segregate some people from others? See, we are one in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
we are one in Christ Jesus. We are all equal and we are eager to maintain unity. And so when we're asked to create division among us by the government, by segregating people based on their vaccination status, we as a church have chosen not to participate in that. We will not take a course of action that willfully divides people by any measure. We wouldn't do it for race or skin colour or gender or intellect or ability. So why would we do it for a medical status? That's what the government is asking us to do, and we will not participate in that. Above all, we want to maintain unity. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation as well, not of division. From 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and onwards, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. This ministry of reconciliation, maintaining unity, this is what scripture calls us to do. And so anything that asks us to do otherwise is not just unbiblical, but let's call it for what it is. It's satanic. It is the opposite to God's revealed will for us as followers of Christ and as his ambassadors. So we will not participate in any measure that requires us to divide people in any way, shape or form and that includes vaccination status. So, what are we going to do then? Well, the newest set of rules only give allowances for fully vaccinated people to attend services held at church. It excludes all others. It divides people. So we won't be holding in-person gatherings at church until these rules are rescinded. So what are we going to do then? Well, for the first time in a long time, these rules allow for up to 10 visitors to your household per day. There is no vaccination requirement for households. So there is no division requirement for households. So we're suggesting that we have church at home hubs until we can return to on-site unified gatherings. So you can invite up to 10 people to come to your home to worship together as you see fit, jump on YouTube, find some, some worship videos to watch as a, as a group, and then watch the sermon online as well. Watch that together and enjoy fellowship as a home hub. And if you didn't get an invite one week, then invite someone to come to your place. These home hubs, well, they can be held anywhere you are. Why not invite a neighbour or other friends over to join with you as well 
It's like we're turning the clock back 2,000 years to Acts, meeting from house to house, praying together, fellowshipping together, breaking bread together, learning together. And that's what's most important. We can do this together, unified, not divided. Small groups can also return to meeting in homes, which is another great blessing. So let's not be discouraged by what we can't do. Let's encourage each other as we continue to meet together in fellowship, worship and the word, and as we gather in home hubs scattered all over the North East, may we continue to bring glory to God and the hope of the gospel as we remain unified as one body in many places. Now this, of course, also affects other ministries as well. So Kids Converge will resume in 2022. Prayer meetings will no longer be conducted at the church, but I would love to host you in my home for these prayer meetings. Wednesday mornings at 10am at our place. Mainly music is navigating a way forward within the rules that also seeks to avoid uh, division. And I'm sure that you'll hear more about the groups uh, which you may be involved in from the leaders in due course. I know none of this is ideal, but our hands are tied by these rules from the state government. So let's renew our commitment to pray for these leaders, pray for each other, and most of all, pray that we may continue to be unified as a church. So let us con conclude this news with words from the Apostle Peter. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. May God bless us all through this unsettling time as we gather as the church, unified as one body in many places. Our Bible reading for today to support the uh, message comes from Revelation chapter 21. And it is quite long, uh, and I'm reading from the um, ESL version. So it's titled A New Heaven and a New Earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I'll be his God, 
and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulphur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, on the three east gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spake with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall is built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. The kings, the earth will bring the glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They'll bring into it the glory and honour of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They'll see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Good morning, or should I say good afternoon, everyone, as it's actually afternoon here as I record this. 
You know, it's good to be able to share with you once again this message um, this morning, as it is in your time. And, and although it's by technology, um, and that's disappointing because, you know, restrictions continue to impact our lives, it is good to be able to gather and to be God's people together. And even though we are apart, God does bring us together and he does make us one. And uh, we are still his family. You know, it's been a, a quite a while now since Alison and I and the family have been able to join with you face to face. But you're very much our dear brothers and sisters in Christ. We're still part of the family and we still very much hold you in our hearts. But before we come to the message, let's just pray. Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you that you are a, a wonderful father to us. And that in all circumstances, you continue to be with us and to keep us. We thank you, Father, that you are the God who reveals himself to us, who shows himself, not only through your creation, but also through your word. And I pray today, Lord, that by the work of your Holy Spirit and by your guidance, that as we examine your word, that we would come to a deeper understanding of all you have to say to us. Not only a deeper understanding, Father, but a deeper relationship with you. We would have a real depth of connection and, Lord, a real joy in being with you. Thank you for calling us together today, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the, your word and its truth. And, Lord, we just come together in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's, it's very true to say that there are some things which are universal about humans. And one thing I can guarantee is that every single person who is a human, is going to think about their future. You know, it might be short-term, medium-term or long-term, but nonetheless, every person thinks about the future in some way. Even incidentally, it's necessary to survive. For example, you all know Simon, our son. He has been busy in the last few weeks working very hard on his university assignments. He's had a deadline to finish them before the end of the year, or actually before the end of, uh, beginning of November. And he's had to plan out his time and uh, dedicate himself to doing them in the right order, in the right way, so he can get them in on time. In a very similar way, you all know Angela. Well, Angela is working towards her end of year 12 studies, towards HSC examinations. And she is diligently working and studying towards those, knowing that it, at some future time she will have to sit and show her knowledge and understanding. And so she puts the time in because she's forward planned for that. As we come towards Christmas, people will be planning for that too. And as you hear this message, it's only 62 days away. And we, we know that we need to do some planning. It's a thing coming to, to us in the future. But it's only 62 days. And we know there are delays in shipping and so on that's going on. We know people will be planning about holidays. We know that some um, some people are already planning for 2022. In fact, a large amount of my own time um, at school at the moment is actually doing that forward planning, knowing that 2022 is coming. There'll be people planning retirement. There'll be people planning employment. There'll be people planning weddings. There'll be people planning family get-togethers, or even if the borders are open, travel around Australia or perhaps overseas. But People are planning because there is a future. But whatever you're planning for, 
if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, there is a guaranteed future that is set before us. Romans 10.9, for example, Paul writes this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, now I suppose the short question is, saved from what? And the short answer to that is death. Uh, John 3.16 brings us a very similar um, idea. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So for people who know Jesus, people who are confessing in their hearts, or know him in their hearts, confessing with their mouth, for people who um, believe in the same way of Jesus, there is a future, and that future is eternal life, and that future is in heaven. And what I want to reflect on today is that word, heaven. I want to think about what the Bible has to say about it and its implications for us. But before I launch into that, there are some really important disclaimers to be made here. The first one is that uh, I have a habit of having very long sermons and messages, and I want to keep this at a reasonable time frame. So as heaven is a really difficult topic, it means that in the time I want to talk through here, I can only really brush over the topic. I'm not going to be addressing it in depth, and heaven is a, a an is something that's worth exploring the Bible for and worth thinking about in depth. So I'd encourage you to do that, but understand this is really broad brush. The second thing is the picture of heaven I'm going to present today is going to be disappointing in some aspects for people because it's not going to answer every question that everyone has about heaven. We have all sorts of questions about how old might we be in heaven? What will we look like? What will we will we eat? Um, will we know people? All those sort of questions. And while I answer some of those in very broad brush ways, that's actually not my aim today. And so it's highly likely that I'll, I'll disappoint in some aspects because I won't answer a lot of those common questions. But the other part is that I really have to ask for your grace because some of my statements um, brush over the idea of what the end times, as people call it, might look like, and brush over some other aspects of theology. And so I need your indulgence in going with the areas I, I want to explore with you and thinking about them, but doing so graciously as, you, as we think about how they mix with our other ideas. But in the end, what I really hope to show is why thinking deeply about heaven is such a worthwhile exercise. Before I launch into that, I think it's important to reflect something else from Romans, where Paul, after reflecting upon God's work for Gentiles and then his work for, uh, through the Spirit and then his work with Israel, makes the following statement. Finally, I want to, um, it says this, Oh, the depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? For who has been his counsellor? For who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. So now it's, it's now time to launch into the first part, which is to think about 
in broad scale? What is it that the Bible tells us about heaven? And the first thing we know about heaven is it's a real place. It actually exists. Now, I want to follow this through a bit from Genesis through further because it, it gives an important perspective to do that because in, in many ways the Bible is actually, um, addresses a couple of questions through its length. This is one. In Genesis, right at the beginning, we read, of course, about the um, creation of the world. And this is what it says in Genesis 2. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from out of the dust, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he formed. So there's a few points that come under um, from this passage that are worth considering. The first thing to, to notice is that um, God was there. And we know later on it talks about God walking in the garden, and we're going to look at that in a little bit. We know that the way life came into being was through the life giver. So God gives life. He's the provider and the maintainer of life, and that's right from the very beginning. Whether it be plants and animals, but in a special way, he gave life to us as humans. And the other thing that we notice is that he provided a place for them. He made a garden. And we know that that garden was Eden, as reported as good. And he also provided a purpose for humans, because it talks about humans are made to tend or look after or maintain that garden. So we have this close relationship between humans, between the place they were placed, their place in this place, because God gave them purpose, and the fact that God was there with them. But we also know that um, in chapter 3 of Genesis, we read the story of what we call the fall, where Adam and Eve made a decision to, on their own authority, break a rule that God had put in place and do their own thing. And it's really interesting what happens at that point. I'll just grab out my Bible and have a look at Genesis 3 to to read that. Where it says the fall. Then, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowledge of good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and also take the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out, and at the Easter Garden he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword, etc. So one of the interesting things is part of the judgment that's placed on man, which dislocates the relationship between man and God, between man and woman, between man and nature, is the fact that he also introduces physical death. So 
God casts Adam and Eve out of the garden away from his presence because God was in the garden, of course, at that point. And although he provided for them, as soon as they removed that source of life, then we see that death becomes a reality in our world. Throughout the Bible from that point on, there is a question, and the question is about God being with his people, about will he return or take us to him one way or the other, and about his presence with people. And one of the really real questions that come through in the Bible, particularly in the early Bible, is if God is with the, these sinful people, how can he live with them when they are sinful? How can he not judge them if, he, if he's a holy God and he's in with people who are naturally rejecting him? Think about this. God does promise after a fairly terrible tale from Genesis 1 through to 11 to Abraham, a great promise in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And what he says essentially is that he promises that through Abraham, he's going to create a situation where he's going to call a people to himself. He's going to provide a place for them. He's going to set up his kingdom. Not only call them his people, but he will be their God and be in presence with them. So he makes a promise that he's going to return his people to a situation something like Eden. In Exodus, God first really manifests himself to all his people when he calls Israel out of Egypt. And as we see them make the escape under the leadership of Moses, there is a cloud um, before them and there's flaming fire at night. So God is actually present there. Later on, after um, fleeing Egypt and successfully going through Red Sea and going onto Mount Sinai, um, Mount Sinai, where they're given the law and so on, we see that God then gives them instructions of building a tabernacle. The tabernacle, essentially, which would contain the ark, was a place for God to live amongst them. It was where God's presence could be. After that, when Israel becomes a nation, we know that David built a temple. So there's now a permanent structure where God is. Again, living amongst his people's holy God, but we know within the temple there was the throne room, if you like, where God was present. And there's a great description about when Solomon dedicates the temple, about God moving in there. But the only access people had to that was the, holy, was the high priest once a year at Passover. So again, God is there, but he's still separate. But then something extraordinary happens. Jesus comes, and of course that Jesus is God amongst us. He lives the perfect life. He teaches us about God. And he tells us that God also has a place for us. John 14, 1 um, records the teachings of Jesus as he talks to his disciples near the end of his ministry. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I, have not, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I'm going. Well, Thomas said to him, Lord, I don't know where you're going, so how can I know the way? 
And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So here, Jesus clearly says that there is a place, and he says he's going to come back and take his people to that place, and that place is where God is. We also know that um, heaven is a place where Jesus has gone to, because in Acts, when we um, look at the beginning of Acts as a book, we know that Jesus was lifted up and disappeared from the sight of the disciples, the sight of the disciples, and an angel appears to the disciples, and we hear him say this, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus went and has gone into heaven, and the angels proclaim he will come back and take his people again. We also could read in Revelation about this place called heaven. And I had the reading earlier, but it's worth going over some. It says in the beginning of uh, chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. And I heard with a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is reported as a recreation, a new earth and a new heaven. And there is a new city, God's city, his home, Jerusalem. But the important part is, do you know in verse 3 how it reflects the promise made to Abraham? Here is God now face to face with his people who have been made perfect by the blood of Jesus. And he's actually going to live with them. He's going to be amongst them. They will be his people. God himself will be there with him. He will be their God. And that's a beautiful picture. So our destination is a place. If we believe in Jesus, we're going to a place called heaven. However, and what we can get from that reading, um, there are a few things about this new creation. We know that the city is large. We know that there's going to be every nationality there and it talks about every nation being present. And it talks about um, how people will gather, worshipping and bringing gifts to God and so on. But the question is, is heaven really a city? And it's often depicted as the idea that you start with the garden, you end with the city. But one of the things to note is that in the description of this city is that it has gates and the gates are always open. And it records people as moving in and out of those gates on a regular basis, including the kings it talks about. And it talks about them bringing things from outside the city into the city to God. And it talks about these people as being the pure and holy ones whose names are written in the book. So the indication is here is that heaven is more. This place is more than just the new city and that it contains more than that. There's also an indication, of course, that we will be changed when we go to this new place. Um, 
we will understand things better. Paul reflects this when he writes in the very famous chapter, chapter 13 of Corinthians, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, or thought like a child, or reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now I see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. For now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now I think this talks more about our understanding of God because at the moment our understanding of God is um, indirect almost experience in some ways, but um, when we come to heaven, he will be there and we'll see him. But that, that same God will change the lens of how we see everything and will give us a deeper and better understanding of things. But not only will our understanding be changed, mind you, it won't be complete, and I'll just put this caveat in too. Um, if we understood like God did, we would be like God, and possibly full of pride. So it says we will know more but we won't be God, obviously. But we'd be changed in other ways too. And that comes um, very evident as we look at Corinthians 13. Uh, sorry, not Corinthians 13. Let's say Matthew. Matthew records the transfiguration for us. And it talks about how Jesus took Peter and James up onto a high mountain and he's transfigured before them. And it says his face shone like the sun, his clothes became white as light. And there was Moses, Elijah, and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, these are, is a heavenly vision. And we know that um, Moses and Elijah um, had died some time before. So this is a resurrection scene. And they haven't come with name tags on them. So it seems that we will have identifiable bodies. We will be identifiable for who we are. We see the same thing in Luke after Jesus' resurrection. And the disciples are in a room and Jesus appears and it says this, and while they're still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. But to them, he said, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you have seen. Jesus had, after his resurrection, a body. Um, there are things we can't explain about some of his actions. But he's had a body and it was identifiable to Jesus and it was identifiable to him. And he still had Jesus' personality in the same way that Elijah and Moses had their personalities up on the mountain. So we will still be individuals and we'll still be identifiable, but we will be different and we can understand that. One of the questions that comes up about what do we do in this place called heaven? Well, David Burns, a theologian, came up with a list for us and it says something like this. Worship without distraction, serve without um, exhaustion, fellowship without fear, learn without fatigue, and rest without boredom. Now this is all good, but I've brushed, uh, brushed over these things because there's some fundamental truths in there. Heaven's a place, we get there through Jesus, we will have bodies, we will have our own personalities, 
um, we will have God in, in right in front of us. It will be recreation. All those things are true. But anyone who tells you they really understand heaven probably haven't deeply thought about it. Let me explain some quick points about why that is true. The first thing to understand is we're humans and we live a physical existence. And that has impacts on what we experience, know and understand. Firstly, very quickly, time. We live in time. We measure time with clocks. And if there are clocks, we measure time by the movement of the day and night. And, of course, even without that, we age. We know that. We age in time. We constantly measure these things and we're constantly aware of it. The other thing is that science tells us that time begins with creation. If there's no universe, there's no time. It's inextricably linked together. So when God creates our universe, he creates time, which means that God is independent of time. In some sense, he exists timelessly. He is ageless. So when you think about time passing and the danger of things like boredom when you're in heaven, that can't be because there is no way to understand for us what living without time looks like. You see, that passage about Revelation reported there was no sun and no moon for God himself and Jesus the Lamb will be our light. So we can't even be certain about what passage of time would look like in that environment. We know that it's eternal, but we can't, we don't have any way of understanding what living without time looks like, and yet that's part of heavenly existence. So if you think this sermon is long, imagine what it would be like with time being in heaven. There is something difficult to think about there. The other thing that we just unconsciously um, don't even really think about is a place without death, because here on earth, because of sin, death is everywhere. Think about it. Every time you drive down the road, look at the tr beautiful trees and things around it and look at how many dead sticks are on them. Every time you weed the garden and pull weeds out, put them in the bin. We're, we're taking the life from that plant. There is death. We experience death with pets, with friends, with family, and sadly, you know, with our close ones, and ultimately with us. We live in a way to preserve life, and we have doctors to try and make sure life goes on. But death is a reality. But it's not a reality in heaven. It's hard to understand living in an environment where there is no death. And think about pain, similarly. You know, pain protects us. We know not to touch hot things because they'll burn us, because of the pain we suffer and so on. But there's a couple of things that are true. In heaven, there are no threats to us. There are no stinging nettles. There are no broken toes because you stub your toe on the ground. There's no burning fingers as you try and get your feet the sausages off the barbecue. We spend a lot of our life conditioning what we do to avoid consequences of pain and so on. We try and avoid accidents 
That's why you have WHS. But there'll be no WHS in heaven. But think about a world where roses don't hurt, where sticking nettles don't sting, where mosquitoes don't bite. It's a hard world to imagine. And in a similar way, disease. There is no disease. Mozzies will not transmit Ross River fever. COVID, colds, hay fever, rheumatoid arthritis, ageing diseases, gone. We don't live in that world and we can, can't imagine it because the consequence of that life is beyond our experience. Similarly, we just simply, in a real way, do not live in God's presence. Now, I'm not saying we don't know God and we don't have God in our heart and that we haven't had a real experience of Jesus and that we don't live in his presence. But every time someone meets God in the Bible, in the flesh, they are confronted. You think about Isaiah going in the temple and he falls down and he talks about his sinfulness and the sinfulness the people lives amongst. And he says, I'm dead, essentially. You think about Ezekiel as he confronts God on the river Kiva and he falls down and it takes him two weeks to recover. You think about John when he has his experience of heaven and he meets Jesus and he falls down as though dead because of the stunningness of the majesty of our God. And yet God will be present in front of us in heaven. Because we can't imagine a world without death, without hurt, without pain, without disease, because we can't actually imagine a world that is timeless, ageless and eternal, because we actually, most of us, won't have had a face-to-face -face real, full-on experience of the real uncloaked God. It makes heaven literally unimaginable. God has graciously provided us with a um, framework in which we can think about heaven as a real place. But it's a, like that did mirror Paul talked about. Because when it talks about the uh, walls of gold like transparent glass, well, gold is not like transparent glass for a start. And there's a great story about a fellow turning up to heaven with um, a briefcase and Peter pulling him up and saying, what have you got in the briefcase? And he sort of opens up and there's gold. And he said, oh, you brought the papers with you. Why? You know, um, what we have from God is a picture of something too glorious, too big, too magnificent for us to actually consume. Which brings us to the point, why think about heaven? Because when we think about heaven, it does a couple of things. For me, it really brings out the full amazing, deep majesty of our God, that his imagination, his place is more magnificent than anything I could ever dream of, conceive of or hope for. It is an amazing future we have. And that should give us a deeper appreciation of who our God is and we shouldn't, that will stop us and put him in a box from thinking we understand him completely and always bring us to that place of worship for him. We fall at his feet and understand, as Paul did, his absolute amazingness and how far above us he is. It will, it will engender worship and bring us to him closer. 
The other thing is, as that's our destiny, we're encouraged to be connected with the way to that destiny, which is Jesus. As we bring the lens of our future to our current state, it means that we want to be connected to our Jesus. And it means that it will influence the way that we live. It will also, because we have a sure hope and a secure future, give us the confidence and the courage through God, through Jesus and through his spirit, to make righteous and good decisions and not be influenced by the thinking of the here and now. You know, there is a parable Jesus tells about the person who's only concerned with the here and now, and it's all about living life to the full because tomorrow they might die, and they say there's nothing after that. So it's all about that um, self-destructive living. Whereas heavenly living, thought of through the eyes of heaven, is constructive, worthwhile, full living. It's important that we do that. So look, I encourage you, go and think about heaven more. It's a great thing to do. Thank God that he has got a place for us. And certainly, make sure that you have a firm connection with Jesus because he's the way there.